Welcome back. It's another Garage Talk podcast here in the garage in South Grants Pass after a full day of activities. We had a birthday party today, a donut birthday party. So, Michael, if it smelled like donuts when you walked through the house, I know you saw the balloons. Yeah, I love donuts too, so I was a little jealous. But Yeah, they were, I'm not going to lie, the, the donuts were not not the best donuts I've ever had. I'm not going to lie either. Grants Pass is struggling with donuts right now. Well, there's a history of good donuts, but it's kind of dropped off. So you grew up here. Yeah. I lived here when I was really young, and then I moved here later in life. But I obviously spent a lot of time here growing up up the road in Glendale, and we always had Wenchel's Donuts, and you probably had a chance to eat a couple of those donuts, oh. right? I mean, I've probably eaten every donut, unfortunately, in my life. But I grew up with Jelly Donut here in town. That, okay. that used to be the place to go. And not to throw shade on any establishments, but it's not the place to go anymore. No, it's not. And they actually took over after Winchell's. So that was the Winchell's. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So uh, I probably I'm, went to it. And was that? I'm uh, what? How old are you? I'm 38. Okay. So we're, we're I'm 39. Okay. So just a little there bit older. But um, yeah, that, that was the place to go way back in the day. But, and now there's, and I even love the people or well, the guy that did own the one on the South side of town for mm-hmm. a short period of time. And I even know someone very close to us who, might work there, but on the weekends, the donuts just aren't the same as right. they are during the week. Yeah. Well, my wife's telling me to stay away from donuts anyway, so I wouldn't know. That's that's what I'm, I'm sticking with right there. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. We, we could use an upgrade. We'll just yeah. leave it at that. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about you a little bit. You are the uh, president and CEO of the Insurance Lounge. Yep. How many locations are you guys so We have to? five locations in Oregon right now. And where are those so locations? So our corporate office is here in Grants Pass. Uh, we opened our first retail lounge is what we call them in Medford. And then we have a location in Eugene and two in Portland. So Beaverton, Lake Oswego. All right. We're going to come back to that a little bit later on. Uh, you also have a couple of other things you're involved in that I definitely want to talk about because uh, those are some nonprofit activities that yes. you, you founded. And we'll just throw a little tease out there. We're going to come back to that a little bit later on. But I want to start off by talking about growing up here in Grants Pass, what that was like for you. Yeah, it was great, to be honest. I mean, I had, I had a great childhood, small town, just had a lot of fun playing sports growing up here. To be honest, I mean, it was the great all-American town growing up, it felt like. So, I mean... You know, going to the local schools and playing sports and having this packed stadium of the football stadium every Friday night. You know, to be honest, I don't think it gets much better, you know, growing up in a small town that Grants Pass at least used to be. It's getting a little bit bigger now, but used to be a really, really tight community uh, back in the late 90s. Yeah, I've had a chance to spend a lot of time here uh, with obviously growing up just down the road, but also living here now for. And I guess it's almost 20 years now being actually a Grants Pass resident. And there definitely is still some of that small town feel, I think, yeah. especially when you compare it. I mean, you travel a lot, yeah. so you get to see the big metropolises out there that don't feel community oriented at all. Well, we <laughs> we don't know what traffic is. You know, we get stopped, uh, you know, on a light on 6th or 7th Street and we're like, man, traffic's bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we go to these big cities and then you really find out what traffic is and you find out how lucky you are to kind of grow up in this nice beautiful mountain range town that we live in so, yeah super blessed it has been kind of interesting though to see it double in size almost since yeah. back when you were in school you and know. the housing market's exploding i mean it's it's definitely a different town than i grew up in um but you know i still love it and that's you know why me and my family have decided to stay here you know long term and we want to grow our business and you know be an employer here in town and help as much as possible both through our business and our nonprofits. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, what it's like when you have multiple locations, how you decide where you want to go or if you do want to stay here. Yeah, well, the first one, you know, um, was a geographic decision to go to Medford just because it was close. We're like, hey, we got this unique concept to try to open a different type insurance store. And, you know, we didn't want to go too far away, but we needed more population than Grants Pass had to see if it worked. So that's kind of how the first one got started. It was close to Grants Pass. And then, you know, Portland was the next kind of big jump because they had, you know, the biggest population here in Oregon. So we opened two more there. And to be honest, we, we for a short time considered moving, but, you know, every, every time you kind of sit down and check all the boxes of the positives and negatives, and it always wins to stay here, especially, you know, all of our friends are here and stuff like that. Yeah. And as long as you don't mind traveling some, because yeah, with the Medford airport, it's kind of, it's kind of easy to get out of here if I, and then you fly out too. So yeah, that's another nice thing. We'll come back to the business side of it a little bit later on, but I want to talk to you about what it was like when you were going through high school and you ended up playing for the Oregon Ducks. But as you were going through high school, when did you kind of realize you had something going? I mean, obviously you're a big guy. Yeah. So you had that uh, going for you. And there's not a lot of guys your size from around here. Yeah. So when I was in eighth grade at North Middle School, I was six, seven, and 300 pounds in eighth grade. So I, I remember going out on the North-South football game that we had, and we had it down there at the high school football field. And I'm like twice the size as anybody else, at least. No joke. Like, it was kind of shocking. So at that point, I kind of knew, like, hey, this isn't normal to be this big. And uh, it, it definitely gave me a huge advantage in life on the sports side of things. But um, that's kind of was the first time, like, hey, I'm bigger than everybody else. This is kind of everybody in our community, and there's no one even, like, within, you know, 100 pounds of me. And watching the film, I didn't really realize when I was out there, but I watched the film, like, the, the next week, and I'm like, why am I twice as big as everybody else on the line? Uh, and then I was like, okay, you know, it's you're not supposed to be this big normally. Did they ever give you a hard time, any of the opposing teams, when you're <laughs> that age? Yeah, of course. So I think the parents were the mo- most afraid that I was going to hurt their, their son, to be honest. And uh, I didn't really understand at the time, but... Um, you know, uh, it was, it was overall, it was great experience. Cause you know, um, I got heavily recruited and I think, you know, that was exciting for a small town, but you know, you know, when you're a big kid, you know, that's not always easy. You get teased and, and stuff like that, but, uh, definitely not maybe bullied, but teased because someone doesn't want to mess with someone twice as big as them. Yeah. Not the best decision right. for someone to make. Exactly. But I was always kind of the teddy bear growing up. You know, I didn't really understand how to get really aggressive in sports until I was in college, I'd say. You know, towards the end of high school, I think I got a little bit more aggressive, you know, in how I played and stuff. But I was always kind of Mr. Nice Guy. As you're going through the recruiting process, what was that like? You said a lot of people were coming at you. Yeah, it was super fun. I mean, we got to fly out to different schools and do, you know, official trips. And, uh, you know, I also, you know, I know my junior and senior year, I flew out and did a lot of camps. I flew out to Nebraska and did a big camp out there because at the time they were one of the major powerhouses, especially for offensive lines. Went down to a camp in Stanford, obviously Oregon. And my my family was kind of a sports family. My brother played basketball at uh, Air Force Academy, so he was a great athlete. He's like the taller, skinnier version of me. So, uh, you know, our dad played college football. And, and, you know, we just always grew up around sports. So um, it was a lot of fun. And I remember, you know, being in class, especially my senior year, I think it was every Thursday uh, – 
they would bring the mail to me in class, which was really weird. I don't, I don't know. But, and it was always, I get a big stack of recruiting letters and it was a little awkward because you're sitting in class with all their classmates and they bring you a big stack of letters from Nebraska and Oregon and all these schools. And it was exciting, but you know, you kind of get embarrassed too a little bit that every Thursday you're getting this big stack of mail in front of everybody. So it, it was fun, but uh, it, it was very unique. Say. What was your favorite part of that? Was it being able to go to some of these other schools and fly across the country as a kid from Grants Pass, or was there something else? That- yeah, no. I mean, every time you go on these recruiting trips, you know they kind of show you all the best stuff. So you, they have a student athlete host you, and they get to go around and see all the nicest restaurants, all their sports facilities, all the fun stuff. So that was just super fun. I just enjoyed getting uh, recruited, to be honest. But I mean, I grew up an Oregon fan, you know, here in Oregon, so. To be honest, even though I took other trips, I was probably never going to go anywhere else. It was kind of, I want to stay home, have my parents be able to watch every game. That was important to me, to only live two hours away so they could drive up and watch me play. Did you know Robin Knievel yeah. in school as you yeah, went through so high school? Yeah, so we played against each other, yeah. Yeah, because I remember, and I've followed, I'm kind of a recruiting geek just a little yeah. bit, just like, okay, a lot. Yeah. But um, I remember following way back then even, and that was kind of when I really started to get into it. I remember both of you guys being recruited by Oregon and just hoping that both of you ended up at Oregon. Yeah. So it was really cool. Cause you know, Rob went to Roseburg, not too far away from here and we were in the same conference. So we played against each other and you know, we knew each other a little bit, but it was really cool. Cause when we got to Oregon, we were actually roommates the first year together. So they put us together. We lived together for a year. We got to know each other very well. Uh, maybe some nights too well, you know, Robin is a great guy though. We stay in touch to, uh, to this day. I actually just talked to him a few days ago. All right. What's he up to these days? So he's living back in Roseburg, uh, working for, I think the County up there. Oh, okay. And he has a couple daughters that are actually great athletes. You know, they do softball. He actually hit me up for a donation, I think for their travel team or something like that. But, uh, Robin's a good guy and, you know, just back kind of in his hometown enjoying life. Good for him. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were roommates, but didn't you have some other roommates that people probably know pretty well? I did. I lived with a house of five basketball players. How's that come about? (laughs) So it's kind of random. So the first year you live in the dorm and that's when I lived with Robin. But after your first year at Oregon, you can go live wherever you want. They kind of release you and say, Hey, here's a little stipend. So you can go live off campus. And the first, uh, I think, first year, I actually lived with Adam Snyder, who also had a great career uh, at Oregon and in the NFL. And then uh, Adams, uh, he actually was getting ready to move in with his girlfriend. I'm like, man, come on, you're just going to leave me high and dry. I got to find another roommate. So, um, you know, all the athletes at Oregon kind of congregate in the same areas. So I actually started becoming friends with a lot of the basketball players. And uh, Luke uh, Jackson, uh, you know, we were shooting hoops or something one day and he's like, Hey man, we got an extra spot in our house. And I'm like, Oh cool. Tell me about it. Cause he knew I was looking for a place and he's like, well, it's actually the garage. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, like I can live in the garage. I mean, like, is there insulation? What's going on here? So he brought me over to their house. It was uh, five basketball players. It was Luke Jackson, Luke Ridnauer, uh, Jay Anderson, who was back uh, from Minnesota and a couple other guys, Nate Smith and a couple other guys rotated over the years, but um, yeah, it was totally random. Like it wasn't really planned. And then I'm like, wow, this, this is the biggest room in the house. Mm-hmm. Didn't know it actually wasn't insulation. It was freezing cold, but uh, moved in there and lived there for two years with five basketball players. I, and I think it was, you know, I, growing up, I wish I was good enough to play college basketball. I was just better at football. 
So I just wanted to, I kind of, you know, gravitated towards those guys. Yeah. So what was it like living out in the garage without any insulation? Uh, well, in the winter it was cold, but uh, the rest of the time of year is great. You know, Eugene's not too, you know, cold in the winter. Uh, pretty mild up, climate. Yeah, it's pretty mild. So it wasn't bad. We had a blast. So, you know, we just did a lot of silly, stupid things. And, you know, that was a time that Oregon basketball was really taking off. Made a couple of elite eight runs. And it was just really cool to kind of see it from the inside. You know, a lot of, you know, obviously Luke and Luke both had, you know, very successful careers after basketball at Oregon. And it was just fun. And good guys, it seems like, too. Great pretty guys. Pretty middle of the road. I know I saw them a few times when they were down here. And there'd, yeah. pe- there'd be people who would try and, hey, let's go party. And they just seem, and maybe they did. But at that time, they just seemed like they were just, they were just going to toe the line. And just, they just were kind of chill, it seemed like. They're just good people. And that's, I think, why I was attracted to them initially. Because they you know, genuinely good people. And to this day, they're, you know, they're both doing well in life and, you know, we're still friends. So that's, it says a lot. What was it like getting used to playing football at the college level? Well, <laughs> you know, at Oregon, Oregon is also kind of on the rise on the football program at the time, kind of, you know, really starting to take off and they, you know, they kind of recruit all of the best kids in the country, obviously even more so now. I mean, it's gotten even better, but you know, we're all kind of the best at our level at high school and you get there and you think you're going to do pretty good at first. And that wasn't the case. I mean, they just kick your butt, you know, you go against these, these, these guys that are actually men and you're not really a man yet, uh, until you go up there and find that out. And, uh, I remember, uh, it was kind of funny cause Matt Smith was a senior, my freshman year at Oregon. And Matt was my idol when I think I was a sixth grader. He was a senior at High School. Because when he was at Oregon, he was like, what, 28? Yeah, he was older. Somewhere so, in there? Yeah, he got drafted to the Major League Baseball, got a million-dollar signing bonus out of high school and went and played professional baseball for a few years and then came back to Oregon. So it was, it was kind of weird, you know, like this this hometown hero that I grew up idolizing was now my teammate. And I got a – you know, he was a linebacker. I was an offensive lineman, so I got to block him every day. I was on the scout team, so I got to go against the first team – uh, you know, defense, uh, you know, all week long. And it was crazy. He, was, he kicked my butt, to be honest, my first year. And I, I didn't really uh, know how hard you can actually get hit from some of those guys. And it was it was an eye opener. And you find out really quick, like, hey, you better start working out harder and doing everything else a little bit better if you want to compete with these guys. Is it just a relentless workout regimen that you're going through just nonstop all the time? It, it really is. I mean, it's you know, you have these world-class strength and conditioning coaches, uh, coach rad who no longer works with football, but he was, he was, he's been there for like 30 years and he's still there and works with other sports teams. Uh, it's unbelievable how every almost second of your day is planned. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nothing is by chance. I mean, including the schooling. I mean, your whole day is planned this, this time you're going to school, this time you're going to be working out this time you're eating, this time you're practicing, this time you're reviewing film, your entire day every day it seems like is planned and planned for you uh which i mean i think is great because it really maximizes your potential as a student athlete yeah for me i think that'd be a good thing yeah just and because they're not leaving it to chance not like well you're gonna work out when you feel like working out you're gonna do your homework when you feel like doing your homework because if that was the case for me i'd never do my homework well that's the thing i mean you give you give these college kids a little freedom you don't want to know what happens sometimes you know they get off track really quick and you know, not everybody can get on board of that. It's it's super difficult going from your normal life in high school and all of a sudden 
your whole life is super structured and super demanding, not only structure. I mean, they expect, you know, the most out of you that you can even give. So it's, it's tough for some people to uh, make it. Yeah. Well, they're investing a lot of resources, a lot of money, a lot of time to make sure that you're as good as you can possibly be. And that's what they want you to be, obviously, exactly. right? Because they want to win. Yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, they gave you, they're giving you every opportunity and obviously a, the opportunity to go to the next level too and make a lot of money for a lot of these guys. Yeah. What was it like playing for coach Pilate? What was he like? I love coach Pilate. Um, he's actually an investor in insurance lounge. Oh, really? Uh, so we, we actually talk on a regular basis now, uh, still, but coach Blotty, um, just a great guy, you know, and he was kind of the CEO of the coaches, you know, he kind of didn't really coach a specific position, but you know, the way he managed the coaches and the team and motivated the players, it was, it was pretty cool to see great guy. What are some of your favorite memories from back then? Well, man, I have so many memories. It's not, not even funny, but uh, one funny memory is I remember we went out to Mississippi State and played out there one year. And uh, I remember uh, during warm-ups, someone come up to me, and it's super hot and humid. I, I don't think we've ever played in this humid of weather before. We were kind of struggling and all the cowbells in the stadium. It was, it was a different atmosphere for sure. And, you know, I think we're, we're top 10 or something like that going into it. So we're big favorites, but you know, those tough early season road games, you never really know. So, you know, we're pretty focused and someone from the athletic staff comes up to me randomly and says, Hey, your parents are trying to get in the stadium, but they, uh, they don't have any tickets. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? They don't have tickets. You know, we, obviously you have a certain amount of tickets, a lot for each game and you put them in manually. I think, uh, each week. And I forgot to, my parents fly out to Mississippi and I forgot to sign them up for tickets. So, uh, that was a little awkward conversation after the game with them, but I'll never forget. Obviously they got into the game. Someone from the athletic program got them in, but uh, I felt pretty, pretty bad that my parents flew all the way to Mississippi state to watch me play. And I couldn't get in the game at first. Well, at that point, it was probably one of the furthest games away, especially yeah. non-conference games, because even back then, there wasn't a lot of games like that on the schedule. Absolutely not. You know, it yeah. took till years after that, it seems like, where they went to Tennessee and Oklahoma somewhere after that, right? Yeah, and was it was a sold-out game, you know, so it's not, you know, so, some of the places you go, you know, it's easier to get tickets, but uh, thank goodness someone on the staff had my back and made sure they got in the game, but... uh that was a little awkward and just, just a funny story. Uh, and it was such a fun place to play just because the fans, sometimes you go to an opposing stadium and the fans aren't the nicest, right? You know, I mean, we do it at Austin to, to opposing teams sometimes, but uh, you're used to hearing kind of every <laughs> bad thing in the dictionary. But um, there at Mississippi State, they were the nicest fans I've ever played in front of. They were complimenting you, shaking your hand when even before and after the game. It was, it was you know, that Southern just – amazing nice people it was yeah. really cool to see yeah i heard similar things about tennessee too that yeah. they were that way yeah. because it's not a you know conference rival and they appreciate better teams coming there because they aren't used to that exactly a lot of times so what are some of the other trips you got to make on road games was there any other ones that stand out well we to you? played uh played in oklahoma that was a fun road game uh against adrian peterson you I, was heard of him. Yeah. I was there yeah, yeah. so that was a really also hot and humid game. I remember oh, uh, it was, was super. Yeah, yeah. As a player, it was worse because it was just like, man, all these pads on, and it's like felt like a hundred degrees and super humid. And 
man, I think we went into that game as an underdog, and you know, it was. Cl- I think we were down by three at halftime. You know, we held Adrian Peterson really well, and then unfortunately, you know, he ran all over us the second half. But that was a really fun uh, trip. You know, going to these places you've never been to. You know, that's another great thing about college sports at this level is you get to travel all over the country and see things that you would never see otherwise. So I feel super grateful that I was given that opportunity to, you know, experience all those great things. Yeah. And not just for someone like you, who's from what we'd consider a small town, but even some of those kids that come from LA, they never get outside of yeah, there. Absolutely. So for them to come up to Oregon or any school for that matter, and then be able to travel, it's probably just as awesome. for Yeah. Them. Yeah. A lot of these kids, you know, come from, you know, humble backgrounts and tough up upbringings and stuff. And, you know, I think it's all – it's really cool. That's what kind of really bonds those whole teams together. You guys get – we get to experience these things as a group and as a team, and, you know, that's what really makes lifelong friends with a lot of these people. Who are some of your favorite teammates? Well, Adam, who I lived with for a year, you know, we became really close and still are close to this day. He's back in uh, Arizona and um, – you know, just all the linemen, you know, I, like I, I still talk to Robin Knievel, Nick Stites. Um, oh, yeah. You know, good old Nick Stites from Los Banos, California. He's uh, doing really well. Um, you know who I had to block every day? I had to block two guys. Um, Igor Oshansky uh-huh. and Haloti Nata. I had the poster with both of them. Remember that yeah. poster? The, oh, yeah. They had the schedule on it with those two guys on there. I mean – we played some of the best teams in the country every year, and I never came across anybody even close as good as Haloti Nada. And I had to block him every day in practice. I mean, I played against Terrell Suggs, some big names. And Haloti, by far, was just on a, a different level. Yeah, his combination of size, strength, and quickness yeah. probably. And because he's he the best move. guy in the world, too. That's, yeah. that's another good thing about Haloti. I mean, like – you never want to block this guy, but I mean, you want to be friends with him because he's the nicest guy in the world. He comes across as someone who's, again, just kind of chill. Yep. And I don't know how accurate that is, but that's kind of the impression and, I have. And, you know, him. he's got a really, you know, touching story. He lost both his parents, actually, um, when he was at U- University of Oregon or shortly thereafter. I can't remember, but, you know, really tough, you know, and I can relate that. I've lost my dad two weeks after last football game at Oregon, actually, unexpectedly. So, you know, we really bonded over that, and we're still really good friends to this day, me and Haloti. Talk about what that was like for you, because I'm sure there were some opportunities out there for you as you come out of college and trying to figure out what you wanted to do. And like you said, what was it, two weeks after? Yeah, so, I mean, I was a three-year starter at Oregon, had a great career, and, you know, I was projected to be a fourth or fifth-round draft pick after my senior year, and I started – working out heavy and getting ready for the combine. I got invited to the combine, so I was working out for that. And just out of the blue, you know, I get this, you know, call that definitely changed my life in a, in a heartbeat. And um, totally unexpectedly, my dad passed away. And I actually, instead of pursuing, trying to pursue that NFL career, I actually moved, moved back to here to Grants Pass to help my mom keep our little family insurance business open. What's that decision like for you and how does that go? Well, to be honest, it was super easy because it was, to me, it was like family's always first, you know? So, um, from an outsider perspective, you know, giving up on a NFL dream that I kind of grew up having and it was just right there, you know, could be tough, but it really, it really wasn't, you know, as my mom worked with my dad every day, she didn't have any insurance experience. So, you know, she didn't know what to do. You know, when I was a 30 year insurance agent and, you know, me and my brother both were like, hey, we need help. So it was actually 
fairly easy. Is that something you thought you might end up getting into later on in life, even if you did end up going to the NFL no. and then after? <laughs> no, not at all. I actually, ne- I actually never wanted to get an insurance. You know, I, I grew up kind of helping my dad around the office sometimes doing filing and stuff like that. But, you know, insurance insurance is boring. No one really wants to do insurance, right? You know, so you don't want to work in it. Yeah. You don't want to have to buy no, exactly. it. You don't want to have to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, if you're a you consumer to- or selling it, it is not fun, right? So, you know, I never expected uh, to actually be in the industry. So it, it, it totally, you know, um, just fell into it because of situational. So if you don't want to get into it, and now you're in it. What's that right. like? Because you have to learn in a hurry. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely was thrown on the fire. You know, my dad, like I said, had done it for 30 years. So, you know, the local clientele that he worked with, you know, uh, respected him because he knew everything. Right. And, and uh, you know, now they're coming to see this young kid that doesn't know anything. And it was it was really tough. You know, the first year, you know, obviously just going through that kind of emotional loss. And then me and mom, me and my mom and my brother my brother actually moved back home too for a short period of time. And we all just kind of came together to keep the business open, you know? So it was a really, um, crazy time. You know, we didn't, none of us really knew what we were doing. And somehow we got through that crisis mode and, um, turn it into something really special. So how long did you, were you working in the family business before you kind of started to take things a little bit different direction or a, a lot of, yeah, so my brother, my brother stayed for about a year and a half, and he said, hey, this isn't for me. He had a really hard time with the emotional side of meeting with clients and them always bringing up my dad, you know, and he was just like, hey, this, I can't do this. I'm going to stay for as long as you guys need me, but then I'm going to go start a different career. And we said, okay, you know, a year and a half after, you're like, okay, you can go now. And then a couple of years later, my mom retires, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm running the company, and I'm like, okay, what now? You know, we've doubled in size. Things are going really well, but still it's insurance. It's boring. It's not really something I saw myself doing long-term. So I kind of had a come to Jesus moment that said, Hey, if I'm going to do this, you know, for the rest of my life and as a, a permanent career, I want to do it my way. And it wasn't the way I was doing it. It was basically, you know, not the way insurance is sold. So that's kind of how this whole insurance lounge concept was born is more out of just the frustration of how the industry is. And, you know, um, looking back, I'm so glad I decided to stay in it because now that we're doing it in a different way, you know, I really, really enjoy insurance, you know, because the consumers are now purchasing insurance in a format that I created that's different from any other format and they really like it. And, you know, that's really fun for me to see. I'm curious as you dove into that, what you were thinking though, because yeah. you had a successful model yeah. that your father had built and you said you doubled in size. So that sounds awesome. Yeah. I things mean, were going I, well. If I'm in Financially charge. things were great. They were going well, but I'll be honest, we risked everything. Uh, and this is probably a little bit of the gambler me, you know, but we risked everything to leverage what we had to create this new concept and what we what I wanted to do, I basically wanted to combine the online marketplace for insurance with the traditional agency and make a hybrid format. So I was like, you know, online's great because it has the accessibility, the ease of use, but it doesn't have kind of, you know, that professional, you know, advice that, you know, these brick and mortar places have. So how do we make this hybrid format that takes advantage of both of those? And, you know, I literally just wrote down all the plus and minuses on a piece of paper for both those formats and said, hey, 
is there a way to get rid of those negatives and combine those positives? And to be honest, it was a retail store format and it almost, you know, in, in the two thousands, it seems like everybody was getting away from retail. Uh, but insurance is a funny thing where, you know, we opened this first store back in, I think it was 2012. We opened our first store in Medford and in my head, I was like, okay, this is how it's going to work. But we weren't sure how people were going to react. We weren't sure if people were going to like this format. Uh, and just to give a little context, our stores look like an Apple store for insurance. So uh, we're open seven days a week, super modern, open. You know, no one, no one works on a commission, so there's no pressure. Uh, another negative thing that, you know, a lot of people think about insurance. So we, we created this cool store with, you know, the conveniences of online and the, the first day we're going to rip down the paper and we're like, okay, I hope this works because if it doesn't, I'll be honest, we, we might be out of business. We leveraged our whole existing business that my dad worked for 30 years to create that I, you know, doubled in size over the next five. And, you know, I was nervous and thank goodness, you know, day one, things started working for us. People just started walking in the store. The consumer feedback was super positive. Like, Hey, this is a really cool format. I've never seen it before. And it kind of just took off there. You know, we, we basically leveraged that success and opened three more locations. And we've been developing a really, really cool online platform that we're launching actually this year that is also going to really change the industry. And um, it's, it's neat because we're getting a lot of national recognition uh, because it's a new distribution channel that no one's done. And, you know, there's a lot of insurance companies and investors that are kind of knocking on our door right now. And What's that like? It's, it's really cool um, because, you know, more than one time we've risked everything to make this work, you know, financially. And, uh, you know, when I say everything, everything, you know, I mean, we really push the limit on our growth and this format. And to be in a position now where, you know, we can kind of choose our path instead of just crossing our fingers and holding our breath, it's really neat. You know, we, you know, have you know, national insurance companies that are, you know, talking to us and venture capital firms and private equity firms and all these really cool things. And it's now it's like, Hey, we want to choose the right path on our terms uh, instead of just kind of holding our breath for it. So it's, it's been a fun ride. What do you want to do with it? <laughs> I mean, cause it could blow up in a hurry. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, set, set the stage for that right now. And I'll be honest. I don't know. I mean, my, my motivation for our growth up until this point has definitely been like, hey, how can I help more people, especially through my nonprofits and stuff like that? And I don't think that's going to change. You know, I, I don't know what that means exactly for Insurance Lounge, um, whether that's just continuing to grow uh, or take on additional partners or, or what in the future. But we have some really cool opportunities, and I'm excited to leverage that, you know, uh, success and kind of, you know, just continue to help the community and grow some other things that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Because some people work for money. Right. And some people work because they're scared to fail. Right. Um, maybe some people are the combination, a little bit of everything. I feel like I'm one of those people, yeah, you know, 100%, I've, yeah. I've, I've always been afraid of not having or not being able to provide. So that kind of motivates me. Um, and I like to be able to do things if I want to do things or, you know, if I just remember being as a young kid and we didn't have a lot. And there's things that we didn't get to do. So I've always wanted to try and provide some of those opportunities for my kids. That's why I have a motorhome because I want to be able to take them out on RV trips when we can actually find time to go on RV trips, <laughs> right. you know? So a lot of different things that motivate 
people and that's what i'm just curious what where where do you want to go and and what do you want to try and accomplish yeah. or do you just go with it because I, i'm kind of one of those people who just i just go for it all the time and then it just kind of shakes out however it shakes out yeah well i mean i was i was raised to be a winner you know with sports really ingrained uh winning and you know that is a big part of it you know being an entrepreneur and you know, kind of controlling your own destiny there and being a winner is good. Obviously, you know, people that say financial is not any part of it is probably lying, but you know, I probably could have made more money just staying our small home down agency uh, over the last 10 years. Uh, now we're kind of leveraging to a point uh, beyond that, but, um, you know, growing a business and scaling it is incredibly difficult and the amount of stress and uncertainty, uh, you go through to be honest is not for most people. I mean, we, we barely made it through it. And I think I'm conditioned through, you know, my wife's also a division one athlete. She played softball at Utah state local kid here actually growing up. So, uh, you know, we're both kind of run the business together with a great executive team as well. But, you know, you know, we're conditioned to, you know, face adversity, being a high level athlete really translated, translated well to business. But I think most people, in our position would have given up a long time ago, you know, before, you know, you kind of get to the point, the inflection point of really taking off. And I think that happens with a lot of businesses because there's so many ups and downs and unknowns and, you know, financial pressures. Uh, you have to be really built a certain way, I think, to be an entrepreneur. And uh, to be honest, it's not for most people. Yeah. Well, and people are just afraid a lot of times to take that leap. Yeah. They don't want to put themselves out there. Right. Because they're afraid of failure or they don't want to experience that uncomfortable feeling. You can't be afraid of to fail. No. You fail every day being an entrepreneur. Even as an athlete, too, you fail every day. I mean, you, you, you have to fail to succeed. I mean, it is a prerequisite to be successful is to fail. So, you know, if you're fa- afraid to fail – Man, you got to get rid of that mindset really quick or you 100% will not be successful. Yeah, and some of the most successful people out there have failed numerous times before they actually oh, 100%. take off or, or find that, that secret sauce that makes them successful. Right. It's know? the persistency, you know, to make it through that, that failure and learn from it and just kind of catapult from there. I mean, that's what the best entrepreneurs uh, know how to do. They know how to pivot from a failure to get over it. And, uh, you know, just to, per- to proceed in the right direction, no matter how many potholes there are. And there is a lot of potholes along the way. I'm curious what your mom thought about stepping out and starting this new concept. Yeah, she, <laughs> she's been overly uh, supportive, actually. Uh, you know, we had a lot of people, you know, tell me uh, that I was crazy and, you know, like, hey, you got a successful local agency. Why are you doing this? Or you know, this format, you know, you know, people aren't going to want to do that. You know, I've, I've heard everything over the years and, uh, you know, that's one of the things that drove me to, to be successful is to show all those people like, Hey, you know, I'm going to take that and, and prove you wrong. But my mom has been unbelievably supportive of, you know, me and the business. And, you know, she's been my number one friend from day one. So, you know, she's living down in Arizona now in the sun. Good for uh, her. Yeah. She's living the good life, but, uh, no, she, she is my, my number one supporter. She's amazing. Do you ever call her for advice? Oh yeah. I mean, there's a very small group of people that I will ask advice from, um, for a lot of different reasons, but you know, she, she saw it before, you know, 
we were, you know, successful and, you know, there's a few things you want to share with people on the business side sometimes. And, you know, she's my number one person that I, I feel comfortable sharing anything with. And obviously besides my wife, but, um, my mom is definitely someone I can, even if I just want to be like, Hey, I don't need advice, but I just want to kind of vent or, or something. She's super supportive in, in every way. What do you think your dad would think of the success that you've had stepping out and creating this new model? Yeah, I think I think he would have been like, man, that's cool. I wish I thought of that or something like that. I actually, there's a picture I took of my dad, you know, shortly before he passed away. He actually didn't even know I took it, but he was at his desk working and I got this new camera, I think, in college and I took a picture of him. It turned out really good. It looked like he was like pondering it. And I blew it up and actually put it in my office. So every day... He's, he's looking down on me and I'm like, okay, I better not screw this up. My dad's watching. So I better work as hard as I possibly can today. So I know he's up there looking down saying, you know, good job. And, you know, I wish he was here to kind of share in the success and, you know, all that stuff. And, but to be honest, I mean, he was also, my parents were so supportive growing up with everything. They were definitely tough. You know, we came from a, you know, we, they weren't very successful initially. You know, my dad worked three different jobs. My mom worked two different jobs. We, we grew up definitely middle-class, but you know, towards the end closer when my dad passed away, he actually started having some success with insurance and you know, it's a bummer. I wish he could have enjoyed, you know, all that hard work, you know, just a little bit more, you yeah. know, that's, but, you know, they sacrificed uh, everything for us kids. You know, they watched every game. My brother had the Air Force Academy in basketball. They went to every single one of my football games, no matter if it was Mississippi State or anywhere. So they didn't miss one game. So just great, supportive parents. I think probably part of that maybe was that generation because I know my parents were the same way. And it was interesting, and I, I've told a lot of people this, especially with – my family having a family business that failed numerous times and now they're very successful, but to see them go through that process, but also all of our aunts, aunts and uncles were at their kids games. My parents were always at our games. It didn't matter what it took. They were going to figure out how to get off work early and it helped because they worked right. at the family business, but also they didn't have a lot then. So when they were traveling, you know, a couple hours up and down the freeway. I mean, that costs money and there's yep. gas and it wasn't as easy to do that back in the mid nineties as it may be now where you have a car that gets 40 or 50 miles <laughs> right. to the gallon, you know, but, but there's a lot of, of parents that age or that, you know, during that time period that were like that. Right. Yeah. My, my wife's parents are the same way. And you know, it's cool. Cause they come to all my, my kids sports, you know, the grandparents come now to watch, uh, our kids uh, play sports, but yeah, I mean, it definitely was probably a generational thing. Cause you, you see less of that now for sure. And I don't know why, but, um, it's, I'm kind of getting into that too. I was telling you, my son, you know, he's nine and he started AU basketball this year. He went from boys and girls club to AU and it's a travel team. So, you know, last weekend we were in Salem the week before we were in Corvallis. So we're kind of all over the place. And one of the, the things I look forward to most is actually going and watching him play. You know, and at that age, it's pretty chaotic, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it's, I don't know if I inherited that from my parents, but I just, I really look forward to watching my kids play sports. It's super fun. Yeah. Mine aren't really big into sports yet. One tried to play softball. That didn't work out too well. She wants to golf and they play soccer and stuff like that. And I like getting out there and watching because I played sports too. I wasn't right. as good at it as you and most people were, but you know, at a small school, you can, you can get away with playing sports and being right. okay at it. But, um, 
Yeah, it's fun to get out there. I was at Grant's Pass the other night for cheer camp because I had three girls yeah. at cheer camp, right? And uh, I was just blown away at how empty it was there. Really? Yeah. Oh. My daughter almost always does cheer camp. You know, she, we were out of town, so she missed uh, this last one. But I know, you know, every time they're down on the football field and stuff, she's always doing the cheer camp. But I was actually talking to my brother. My brother's on the school board here in Grants Pass. And uh, we were at some event for the kids. I think it was an orchestra thing or something the other night. And we're sitting in the gym. We're talking about the basketball games. And we're like, hey, man, you remember when we played basketball growing up? This place was packed. I mean, not only like the seats were full, but there were people up top. There's times you couldn't yeah. get tickets to games. Same there. thing with football. I mean, it was, I remember the people standing outside the gates just to see in and watch the football games and it was sold out and it's not like that anymore. And it's, it's sad to see. And I, I mean, the community's bigger. So you think, you know, you have this bigger base to pull from, but for some reason, I think there's a little momentum slowing on, you know, some, some athletic support. I don't know. I don't know why, but you know, I remember growing up and, you know, watching my brother play. And then when I played, you know, it was always packed yeah. basketball, football, it was packed. People just game. don't get out like they used to though. Right. And I think part of that's probably related to technology, right? Because sometimes you can actually watch the games on your TV at home. <laughs> that's and, true. and even when it comes to college football, we're starting mm-hmm. to see that now in NFL where attendance is down. Well, you have a 60, 70 inch TV on the wall right. at home. Why would you spend a couple hundred dollars to drive a couple hours up the freeway right. and then drive back in the middle of the night, especially when there's night games, if you could sit at home and watch it. And I, I mean, I get it. That 4K is looking really good some days. <laughs> yeah. Right? But when it comes to high school sports, though, that's what's really strange to me, right. that people don't rally around the community as much as they used to. You know, and that's one of the things that motivates me to stay in this community is, you know, because, you know, we don't donate money to the high school and sports and, and other things. You know, it's I want to be those, you know, I want to be like an Evergreen. An Evergreen bank, you know, here in Grants Pass, you know, they support uh, athletics probably more than anybody. And, you know, that's my motivation. I just want to keep growing so we can support more things uh, to bring it back to kind of how it used to be, I guess. Yeah, it's fun to be able to do that. I was talking to someone the other day about this, just about how awesome it was to help a couple of girls the other day that came in. We had one selling candy bars. We had one selling Girl Scout cookies. And, a, and it was just, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money. Um, it was more than most people would probably spend on those things. But it just felt so good to do it. And I, when the girls left, I was telling a couple of people at work, I said, you know, I want to work hard so I can do more of that for other people. Yeah. Because there's nothing like being able to help someone out or make a kid smile when they need a donation for something, whatever it is, yeah. you know, it's really hard for me to say no when people ask, you know, cause we, we get hit up a lot, you know, for donations and, and sometimes we do have to say no, you know, we always have to make sure it makes sense uh, for our business. But, you know, I always try to find a way to help out when people are asking for help because I remember growing up, I, I would go around and ask all these businesses to donate and, and help support this and that. And, you know, um, that's just the right thing to do if you're, if you're doing well, you know, if you're doing well, I mean, you know, a family can only spend so much money themselves, right? You know, I want to see uh, people share their success. Obviously it's, it's up to each individual if they want that or not, but that's one of the things that motivates me. That's for sure. Talk a little bit about how you got the idea for the Oregon athlete foundation, how that came about. Yeah. So, um, kind of an interesting story here. I'll try to be politically correct a little bit in telling this. But, I mean, um, you don't have to be with me. I know if you that's don't want true. To, but I mean, it's, you, you. I need to be though. Just trust me. On this. So Here, I'll turn the mic. Yeah. For a second. Um, <laughs> you know, I I supported the university um, financially. Um, 
you know, they came to me after I started doing uh, fairly well in business and asked for some donations. And I had no problem, um, you know, supporting them a little bit. Um, obviously, I probably would not be where I am today without that experience I had at University of Oregon and with that athletic program. So I, sa- I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll donate. And I donated for several years. And, you know, I noticed uh, amongst my teammates, uh, you know, former teammates, obviously, that there was kind of a theme that a lot of people were facing. And it was just this total disconnect after they left and didn't feel the connection that we all had when we were there. And one of the checks, the last check uh, that I wrote to the University of Oregon, I, uh, I said, hey, you know, because they, they always said, hey, if there's some, some cause or something within U of O, you know, you can dedicate the money to go to that, you know, area. And I was like, well, I want this, these funds to help, you know, kind of athletes transitioning from their sports careers to real life because there's a huge gap, it seems like, for these athletes to go find real jobs, uh, kind of get transitioned to the real world from, you know, the, the huge U of O um, life that you live. You find out, you know, meals aren't free and you're not told what to do every second of the day and everything's planned for you. So I said, Hey, can you dedicate this money for that? And they ultimately said no. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to take this check and start a foundation that does that because I was so passionate about it. And I had so many teammates and also knew of just so many other people that really struggled finding jobs and doing other things. So that's how the whole concept started. It was more of me just being stubborn and said, well, if you're not going to do it, I'll just do it myself. And that day, you know, I called my lawyer up and say, Hey, how do I start a nonprofit? Because I had no clue what I was doing. And I was super, super blessed early on to get someone uh, who knew way more about fundraising and helping athletes than I did. His name is Jeff Eberhardt. He was he was a 20-year, um, he was in the athletic department for 20 years at U of O, a lot of different positions. And he actually recently left the university and uh, we connected and he knew he knew what I was starting and he basically said, hey, I'd love to help. So I kind of brought him on as my executive director and, you know, all of a sudden I found myself running another business basically uh, totally out of the blue. That I wasn't planned. It was just a passion that I had. I wanted to help people and it kind of ballooned into this thing where, you know, we're dedicated to help former University of Oregon athletes transition to the real world of life and then also kind of their community. So we do a big camp here in Grants Pass and we do a couple other camps where all the coaches are current and former athletes. Uh, you have from U of O and it's just, it's turning into great things. We run like here in a couple months, we're running the football reunion for university of Oregon. Uh, we have a great relationship with our department. So don't, don't kind of, uh, get me wrong there. It was just more my, my stubbornness that said, Hey, you know, if you guys aren't going to make this priority, I will. Do you think it was just because they were focused on so many other things oh, that they're trying 100%. to accomplish? Because I know it seems like just me watching from afar yeah that they have all these different responsibilities when it comes to, let's say football, for example, the CEO of the football team, also known as the head coach is trying to accomplish all of these different things. And I've seen different head coaches do a better job than others at welcoming back former players. Some players at times felt like they weren't welcome at all. And then there's been some coaches who have done a phenomenal job, even sending stuff to players, uh, you know, that haven't played in years. So, Yeah, 100% on that. I mean, 
I'm not going to name names there, but uh, there was definitely, uh, you know, depends on, you know, the coming and going of a lot of coaches. They have so much on their plate. There's no way that they can do a lot for former athletes. You know, there's so much expectations to help all the athletes that are there, recruit kids that they want to come there. So, um, you know, realistically, you know, even though us former athletes may want it to be a priority, there's no way it really can be a priority. Um, so there definitely is that understanding. I mean, I, I love my school. I love University of Oregon. I bleed green and yellow, you know. So uh, I think I was just a little stubborn initially of how this whole started. But it worked out great because, you know, we, we do a lot of events that help a lot of people. The biggest thing that I'm most proud about with the foundation is our jobs program. You know, we, we've really gained the structure of uh, donors and former athletes who are in leadership positions uh, or hiring positions for companies. And what we do for athletes that need jobs, they, they can send us their resume. We can kind of understand where, where they are geographically, what kind of career they want to go in. And we'll find and match them with someone that can hire them. And we've had a lot of success with that. That is really cool. I'm really proud of it because it changed their life. You know, I mean, it feels like, Hey, we're really pointing them in a direction to be successful for, for a term. What's the response from the university been like super positive. So the first couple of years, it was a little skeptical, like, hey, what's the motivation here? What's going on? And I understand that. They, they have a lot on their plate. They're a $100 million organization every year. A lot going on with them. And, um, you know, at first they're like, okay, what's this group trying to do? And once they started seeing our results and our success, they, they were our number one fan. You know, it's really great. You know, we talked to Rob Mullins, athletic director, on a regular basis. H.A. Cohen, who's kind of the second in charge up there. Boy, is he and, second in charge Yeah, now? I mean, I he's really that. gone up the ladder, H.J. <laughs> there. smokes. I yeah. haven't seen him in forever. But yeah, great guy. I met him when he was down here yep. when they were trying to get things back kickstarted down here, mm-hmm. and he was the, the rep down here. Yeah, he's a winner, man. He's gone, he's gone up the chain, and uh, they, they really support us. I mean, you know, if, if you know, we do a big fundraiser every year, and they donate stuff that we can auction off to help us financially and stuff like that, and give us access to facilities and stuff that's not, you know, open to the public, things that really help us be successful, you know, and they basically see how much value we're adding to the university. I mean, there's coaches on multiple uh, athletic staffs that are using us as a recruiting tool. I was just going to yeah. say that, and you, you beat me to it. That's a huge selling point to me. We're going to take care of you now, but after the fact, we have this whole other arm over here. Yeah. I mean, because they can kind of claim you as their own because you are them. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, that's a huge differentiator that most colleges don't have. You know, I mean, they're, you know, these coaches are going to these, these, these kids' houses and telling their parents, like, hey, this is all the reasons you should come, you know, play for us. But guess what? You know, after that kid leaves that university, that's really what matters. What happens then, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, having this really this structure that we've created, you know, it's a, it's a great selling point. It really is. Yeah. I can't imagine what that must be like for you being able to be a part of something like that, you know, as someone who went there and then saw the need for it yeah. and then addressing that need, what was the response from some of the people that are helping you out now and some of the other former players, were they pretty quick to jump on board and help yeah, out? Yeah, I mean, it's been really cool just seeing the support of all the athletes. Like, we we hosted a huge, uh, like, former athlete tailgater down at the Rose Bowl a couple months ago. 
and had about 600 people show up a little bit more than we were expecting actually, because it was a private event. You had to either be an athlete or a guest of an athlete. So we were expecting hey, maybe a couple hundred people. And all of a sudden we had a cutoff registration because we had over 600. And we're like, okay, I don't know if all these people are going to fit in our space that we have, but it was really cool because, you know, um, people that I've never met that are former athletes are coming up to me and thanking me, uh, for, for starting the foundation and all the stuff that we do. And, it's just weird because I'm not doing it for a pat on the back or, or anything like that, but it does make you feel special. It really does because that's the whole goal. You want to help people. You want to have them still have that connection that they felt when they were there playing, you know, and you know, this is all sports. This isn't just football because football does get a lot of love in so many ways and so many advantages of uh, over other athletic programs there. This, so we really, you know, really, really focus on every sport. I don't care if you're the star quarterback or if you're a walk-on, you know, you get treated the exact same way from our organization. Even to be honest, we'll probably treat you better if you're the walk-on because you worked harder than all of us. You didn't get a penny, you know, to show up. And uh, Well, and some of those players yeah. who never even really played much, but right. maybe they were on the team. Or didn't play at all. Exactly. I mean, and that's what they people don't out. understand. Like, these kids are, you know, paying to, uh, to go to school. Most of us are free on scholarship and they, they didn't get any of the perks we did. You know, I, I, re, I remember going in, like we got to go have dinner cause it was part of our scholarship program. And I think this has changed now, but they didn't let the kids that didn't have the scholarship come in and eat with us after we all worked our butts off, you know, we all bled on the field together and all this stuff. And those guys, to be honest, they had to work two three times harder than we did because mm-hmm. they weren't as gifted a lot of the times. And, you know, I have the most respect for walk-ons uh, because it is very, very difficult. It is very difficult. Well, not only that, once you get out of school, it's one thing if you're the star quarterback and the right. CEO of a company says, oh, well, I'll hire that guy to come exactly. work for me. But if you're the walk-on, yeah, I mean, you don't have a lot to work with. You don't, but guess what? They have so many skills that translate to the real world and business. Better probably yes. than a lot of the star athletes Because they do. had to work harder than yep. that star athlete. They didn't get recruited like I did. You know, they, they know they have a chip on their shoulder and they're going to work a little bit harder. You know, it's, it's really cool to see how well, you know, high level athletics translates to the business world. Yeah, definitely. A lot, a lot of success there. Well, it's cool that you guys are not only helping people get jobs, but then like you said, you're putting on those camps and doing something for the kids at the same time. So there's a lot of different things going on with it. Yeah, that's the first camp was a super selfish thing, you know, for Grant's Pass. You know, I'm like, you know, we have we've built this really cool network of really high profile athletes. And I wanted to do something cool for Grant's Pass. I'm like, you know, why don't we just leverage these connections and host a camp where all these players can come down and all the kids here in my community can meet them. That's how it kind of all started. And to be honest, my wife does most of the work for these camps. So she's on the phone calling all these athletes that we know and. Uh, she works her butt off uh, to make this a reality. But, you know, I think last year we had like 37 or 38 current and former athletes come down to Grants Pass, Oregon. Isn't that something? You know, and I mean, big name athletes, you know, Brady Breeze. He was just, the, you know, the MVP of the Rose Bowl. He's come the last couple of years. He'll come again this year. I mean, you know, we, we had, I think, about 12, 13, 14 current football players that come down every year. It's just neat to see these kids to be able to interact with their, you know, their hero that they watch on TV. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day that um, I can't remember if they said one of their kids went to the camp or not, but they ended up being on a jet boat trip the same night. Yeah, so every year, so 
to give Travis Hamill a little shout out, he gives us a jet boat every year to take all these athletes down to kind of as a thank you for, you know, coming to Grants Pass. And it's one of the highlights of, of the weekend because, uh, first of all, a lot of these people have never been a Grants Pass. They haven't even heard of Grants Pass, <laughs> to be honest. And it could be a foreign country yes, to a lot of those people. 100%. But they definitely see the best side of Grants Pass when we take it down the beautiful Rogue River, have a great dinner. Um, and Trav is great making it special, you know, setting up a really kind of a little private thing down there at the shop down there and stuff. So it's the kids love it. Love it. That's my favorite part, too. Yeah. Besides the camp have, itself. Yeah. Do you have the camp on the schedule for this year already? Yeah. So it's always the last Saturday of June. Okay. So last Saturday of June. I don't know what, what date that is off the top of my head. I mean, I'm, there you go. Check it out on the phone there. I'm only looking because we're supposed to do a jet boat trip for uh, the St. Jude fundraiser. We just oh, wrapped yeah. up this past Congratulations, week. by the way. Thank went, you. Went, went really well. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It was incredible. Um, I took a nap today <laughs> and yesterday, yeah. actually. Um but I think we're going the week before. Yeah. But yeah, we're going I'm not Thursday. sure. So we, we switch sometimes between Friday and Saturday night when we go down, uh, just depending on it. Cause we also have to coordinate with like Oregon football. Gotcha. Cause they have practice and stuff. So, uh, depending on, uh, their practice schedule, sometimes the, the, the current players can come down earlier or later, depending on their workouts and stuff like that. So kind of every year it's kind of played by ear and, Trav always is super accommodating uh, for us for that, too, to go down the jet boats. Cool. Looks like it might be the same weekend. Yeah. But I think we're Thursday, so we'll warm it up for you. Yeah, right. I'll let you know. I'll give you insight. (laughs) We don't want to tell too many people. It might get a little crazy down there. Yeah, we may need to cut that part out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, no, he's done a great job. Actually, he's supposed to come over here at some point and do this. Yeah. 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 So once I saw you were super involved in the fundraiser as well for St. Jude's. Yeah. 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 We were on the air for 26 hours. Wow. 13 hours both days. Hey, this this podcast isn't going 26 hours, is it? No. We're, okay. Uh, we're almost to an hour though. Okay. Already. Yeah. Crazy. Where we go? No, I mean we it's could easy. if you want to, but uh, I have to go to work. I don't tomorrow. know if I can go that long. I have to get up at four thirty. Oh, so brutal. back to work. That's but brutal. Uh, I want to ask you about the other thing yeah. uh, that you're involved in, the one hundred percent tip. Yeah. What's that all about? Because I don't think that gets as much it exposure as well, the, it doesn't get as much time either, just because I I I find myself really let's say how how can I fill my schedule completely full and not have any time for anything. I'll start another business or another nonprofit. Um, so the hundred percent tip. So I remember this was probably 10 years ago. Someone was going around the country, leaving ginormous tips, like 5,000 here, 10,000 there. And it it got picked up on the national news. And I I said, one day when I really hit it big, I want to do that. You know, I just want to really impact someone just randomly and, you know, you know, see if that could change their life somehow. But in the meantime, since I can't leave like $10,000 tips, uh, what if I left a hundred percent tip instead of, you know, the standard 20%. And I was actually down in, uh, I think it was Anaheim, California. Uh, this was about eight, nine years ago now. And, uh, I was actually waiting for my family. We were doing a Disneyland trip, but they, I was meeting my family cause I was coming from a work trip. So they weren't down yet. So there was one night I was by myself and I went to an ESPN zone, watching some sports on TV. I was there for quite a while, so I racked up a big bill, you know, like 60 bucks or something, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave a 100% tip and see see the reaction. And uh, super surprised, the server comes back, because I was still sitting there having some drinks or something, she comes back and starts bawling. And I'm like, wow, that $60 made her cry. And she told me like, hey, you have no idea how much this helps, the table before 
stiff me and this, you know, I have kids at home that I'm trying to make it. And I'm like, wow, I was shocked how big a impact that had on her life. And I think two days later when I was still down there, I, at another place, I left another hundred percent tip, had a a very similar response. And I'm like, wow, I, I would love to do this more often, but how can I kind of create a structure that it's not just me doing this? So that's kind of how the whole idea for hundred percent tip was born was basically creating, you know, a community of people just doing random acts of kindness through these hundred percent tips. And what we do, it was cool. I just, I just did one uh, last week and, uh, it was actually, I think up in Salem at my son's basketball tournament. And our, our website is set up where you, the the people that receive the tips can leave their feedback on our site. So it's really cool. So you can kind of see real time, the people that are getting them and, you know, how it impacted them. And I think within five minutes of me leaving one, you know, they, they posted to the website and I get this little notification. It just makes you feel so good inside that you can impact, uh, someone through just a, just a simple kind gesture. And we've gotten other businesses involved. So they commit to do a certain amount of tips a year, basically a certain amount, hundred percent tips a year. And we've kind of created this little, you know, community and people are doing them all across the country, you know, uh, get, you know, one from Alaska the other day and Florida the other day. It's just really cool. And it's not something I promote really just because it's more of a selfish kind of fun thing, but it started kind of taking off a little bit. What a great idea. It's out of pure fun. And you just never know what it's going to mean to that person. And that's the coolest thing is there's so many people out there working hard and maybe are getting stiffed from time to time. Especially in the service industry. It's tough. It's tough. My brother was a waiter for many years and you know, I hear all the horror stories and everything. And man, I was like, it's really cool to see, you know, how much impact you can have and it doesn't impact my financial life at all. You know, my financial life has changed a little bit over the years, but back then, you know, I was like 50 bucks. Okay. I mean, I'll be okay. You know? Um, and it really changed that person's life. It felt like, yeah, I love watching for the people that are really getting after it. Yeah. The people that are hustling and you can tell they're just trying so hard, you know, when they're waiting tables, it's unreal. And because they put in so much time and they're on their feet and it's so hard to make people happy. Right. And I know some people that are fairly, well, I got to be careful what I say here, but <laughs> I know a few people who can be pretty hard on, on wait staff. Yeah, know? absolutely. Right. And you know, that's just the, you know, our society in general, I think has become more critical and you know, um, the people on the, you know, especially, you know, the waiter and waitresses and everything really get the brunt. I think of a lot of, stress and you know where this country's going a little bit you know and it's really cool to you know be able to brighten someone's day even if it's just that one day so how does it work you're talking about the website yeah. if someone wants to get involved somehow what do yeah. they need to do yeah so we have a little link on our website it's 100percenttip.com, and you can basically request to become one of our partner businesses you kind of see all the logos of all the businesses that are currently involved and what it is, it kind of shoots me an email and gives me a notification and I kind of reach out and kind of give the overall view of kind of the structure. It's super simple. We usually say like, hey, do four or five a year. We'll put your business logo on there. Um, most people do it out of pure just, you know, other, you know, generosity. But also there's, you know, there's ways to get, you know, some marketing out of it too if, if, if that motivates you. So, yeah, just it's just a way to reach out. Any, any business can join and the more the merrier, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious – And this is just something I noticed, and it may just be the fact that I saw numerous pictures where your employees are wearing jeans and like a sport coat. I'm curious your thoughts on wearing jeans at work. 
Okay. And if that's a thing, where's this for coming you? from? Is this like a? Well, I don't like, know. If I do you say. have a debate? I'll tell you first, and you can tell me. Okay. Okay. Or you don't have to. Uh, but no, no, I'll tell you. So yeah, so we. Um, park, I'm just curious if it's a thing or not. It is because a thing. I saw a lot of pictures where there it was is jeans. a thing. Okay. So good. we have a, a uniform, and the uniform is jeans. And the reason, so when we were creating Insurance Lounge, one of the things that we wanted to overcome was the stuffiness of insurance. Everybody's in the, the suits, right? Thank you. And I hate personally wearing a tie. I will never wear a tie. I don't care if I go meet with a you know, billionaire, like, and I have. I will not wear a tie. Uh, or a VC in New York City, like, I'll wear a nice sports coat and a button-up, but never going to get a tie on me. So I'm like, if I don't want to wear a tie, you know, and if we could create kind of this more relaxed but professional look, that's what I wanted to do. So that's where our whole uniform, we have this, people wear our insurance lounge uh, logo t-shirts and they have a sports coat and jeans is our uniform. I love it. So we, we just like the kind of the relaxed feel, but still, you know, still looks professional with the jacket, I think. I just had a conversation the other day with, I'm not going to say who, because <laughs> I don't want to narrow it down too much, but I was telling them that I feel like so many businesses these days are completely out of touch with the reality of how things are these days. And I get it. You want to look professional. But in the pictures that I saw of your employees, they look very professional. Yeah, exactly. They look dialed in. It wasn't like they were sloppy or anything like that. It's just one of my pet peeves of people being over the top, bosses mainly being over the top and not adapting to the times. And uh, so it stood out to me. Especially in our community. I mean, when I see someone in a full suit and – don't want to stereotype the situation, but I feel like I'm going to be sold something, right? Right. You know, they want to sell me something. And that is the exact opposite of what I wanted for insurance lounge. I wanted to be an advisor, an educator and not sell stuff, you know? Uh, So, you know, that was definitely did not want to give that vibe off. Yeah. Well, when radio doesn't work out for me, I'll come hit you up (laughs) because I love wearing jeans. And I, we've had, I think I've had three different general managers at the radio station and I've been in advertising sales for, well, I started there in 2008, so 11 or 12 years. And some of the best deals I've ever made, I was wearing jeans. Right. But I'm just not able to make the case right now to make Yeah, that I mean, as long as you look put together, I don't yeah. care what you're wearing, right? You know, I mean, you know, it's all about connecting with people. I mean, that's what business is, you know, especially sales, you know, forming some sort of connection, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think especially in our community, I mean, you're going to alienate uh, more people wearing a suit because they just don't, most people don't wear suits around here, man. I mean, a lot of hardworking people and yeah. you know, they're not wearing suits. And just understanding the situation yeah. that you're walking into. Exactly. Like in your situation, people yeah. are coming in to see you guys, yeah. but in our situation, we're going out to see people. And that's what I was trying to do is just adapt to the situation. Right. You know, if I'm going to see a guy that's a mechanic, well, if I walk in there wearing, you know, slacks and a button up shirt, eh. right now, if I have the button up shirt and jeans on, I'm probably going to get a different reaction. Very versatile. Yeah. There you go. So let me know who I need to convince. <laughs> I don't think okay. it's going to work. I'm uh, very convincing. Yeah. Well, so am I. Okay. But it hasn't uh, worked yet. Okay. Well, I mean, we could try. It would be a fun experiment. Yeah. Right. But let me know. Yeah. He's pretty hardcore, <laughs> which I follow along. I do what I need to do. It's just not my favorite thing. Yeah. But uh, look at my notes and see yeah. what I missed. I do have another business I'm starting. You want to hear about oh, that? Oh, yeah. Sure. Tell me more. Since I'm not busy enough with the other three that I have, uh, my wife thinks I'm absolutely crazy um, because uh, I I don't know how I keep juggling all these things. But uh, I'm starting a landscape business that is 100% 
uh, battery powered from the vehicles to everything. So it's no emissions. Again, just out of kind of a frustration that it doesn't exist. So people have the opportunity to hire a landscape maintenance company and not have any, you know, zero emission company. So we have little electric vehicles, all the equipment's all electrical. You know, it's all solar power too, so it's coming from clean sources. So little fun side project. It's called Eco Charged. Okay, it's and on is the it horizon. Starting here? It's yeah, it's starting. I'm starting in the Grants Pass. We're probably going to be. I'm starting it to franchise it. You know, I'm basically kind of playing around with this concept and interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. I think you're onto something though. Yeah, it's fun. We we've already tested all the equipment and we got this cool electric vehicle that works really well and we actually. Uh, we're going to be selling franchises that come in a shipping container. So the shipping container will have everything you need in it to start the business kind of from scratch. So keep an eye out for that in the next year or two. Interesting. Yeah. Cause there, there's a lot of battery powered equipment yeah. out there. It's starting to come way more mainstream, Yeah, especially on the commercial side, getting stuff that actually can like last all day and have so there's power. A, a riding mower. Yeah, they do make riding mowers. Uh, we're only using push mowers to start, but they do make fully electric riding mowers. Okay. Yeah, that are pretty legit. They're extremely expensive, though. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about, because expensive. a lot of that stuff, when it comes out, is pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah. overly expensive for the riding lawnmowers. That that price will come down over time, because that technology is pretty new. But Yeah, like anything else. Yeah, exactly. It just takes time. Just like the TV, the first plasma 42-inch TV I bought was like $4,000. Now it's like <laughs> you know 10 bucks or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, you can get some of those. I know there's it's one. Insane. Uh, that I was looking at the other day, and I think it's two hundred and some change, that's and I paid you know six or seven hundred right. a few years ago because I'm usually behind. I'm not the guy that's going to put the the four K that you yeah. mentioned earlier. I'm just I'm just cheap that way. But um, anyway, what you said a few minutes ago leads me right into this quote yeah. that I found when I was doing some creeping that says, "Work so hard, people think you're crazy." Yes, yeah. Was that like a social media post or something? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I don't remember uh, when I said that, but I definitely believe in that. Um, and that's one of my biggest, I think, you know, attributes and one of my, you know, worst things about me is, you know, I, I work really, really hard. I, I get my mindset on something and I don't want to stop until I'm successful with it. It sometimes takes away from other things, but I, I think I've learned to balance things much, much better now over the years, you know, since, I started working back in 0405. It's been what 15 years now. So, you know, it's it's taken several years for me to figure out how to balance everything, but to be honest, you know, and everybody kind of has their own motivations in life. And, you know, for what I want to, you know, achieve through my life, I I need to work really hard to do that because I only got so much time here on this earth to do that. So, most people do think I'm crazy because I'm working probably twice as much as the average person. Yeah. And a lot of my friends, I mean, think I'm crazy too. Cause they're, they want to go out and have a drink or go out and do this. And I'm like, sorry, man, I got, I got stuff to do. Yeah. And so, only so much time to do it. I know that it's true. It's, it's tough though, because I'm wired much like yourself. And I've struggled with that recently of trying to find the balance of making sure that I'm not away from here. Right too much especially with a family yeah i mean it's really tough you know making sure you meet all your commitments as a husband as a father and all that stuff you know um and to be honest that's the most important thing to me but one of the things that drives me the most is you know building something for my kids and for my family and and 
you know, some, it's all about perspective. You know, some people have may agree with your perspective. Some may disagree, but you got to be you, right. You know, believe in what you're doing and if you feel good about it and if you think it's right, you know, do it full, full speed. 10 years from now, where do you see yourself? Well, I, th- I think I'll still be in Grants Pass because I love this place. Um, but 10 years from now, I'll probably do- be doing something very similar, having multiple businesses, hopefully supporting the community and causes that I'm passionate about even more than I am now, uh, hopefully much more. You know, I just I just came from, you know, a fundraiser last night for the Grants Pass Museum. And, you know, it's really cool to be able to bid on stuff and donate money and see how that directly impacts that organization or cause. And yeah, I, I want to do more of that. You know, I want to, you know, mentor people and show them how I've become successful and how, you know, what they can do to be successful. You know, that's 10 years from now. I hope I'm in a very similar spot where, you know, I'm watching my kids probably, you know, finish high school. Graduated yeah, pretty close, right? That's you said you really, a, you have a yeah, nine year old. Yep. Yeah, so he'll be graduating and you know, if he plays sports, great. If not, fine, you know, do what makes him happy. But I'm excited just growing with my family and doing as much as I can in the in the business world. You know, I've been very, very lucky to have some great mentors uh, to show me, you know, how they became successful. And I would love to do the same thing. What if your kids want to get into the family business? What do you think about that? Um, in 10 years, if I'm still doing insurance, uh I don't know. Uh, or whatever family yeah, business right? here. Uh, it might be the battery-powered yeah, right. landscape company yeah. that has it could be. four or 500 <laughs> right. people out there. You know, um, just like my parents did, I'm going to try to do the exact thing. Just support them and what they want to do, what they're passionate about. Obviously, give them advice on you know the road bumps that you know I had and my parents had along the way so they could try to avoid those. And to be honest, maybe not tell them about some roadblocks so they can run into them and figure it out on their own, you know? So I'm, I'm excited to, to um, support them and whatever they want to do. If someone was to ask you what the key to success is, what would you tell them? Work harder than everybody else. Because I mean, talent isn't that important. I mean, I found out that a lot of successful people, obviously there's the, the people out there that definitely are lucky and, you know, you know, something fell in their lap, but most really successful people just worked harder. You know, they really worked harder. I mean, I see that more and more and more. And, you know, there's definitely cases out there where someone does work twice hard and, you know, just didn't work out for them or whatever. But, you know, I figured out if I can put twice as much hours in as someone else doing the same thing, I'm going to have a much higher likelihood of being successful in that than they will. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. Yeah. Anything else you can think of? No, man. Appreciate you having me over. Yeah, it's, I'm happy uh, to have you over. I'm glad. Reminds you came me of over. like college, you know, living in the garage. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had someone tell me the other day. My buddy's dad actually was in here, and he said, "You know, if we had a couple of beers and a bonfire, I could probably just sit here all night." Right. I thought, man, that's the best compliment I've had. That's so pretty far. cool. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I appreciate you making time because I know you're really busy. Yeah, no, I love. I'm glad I could. And if there's ever anything I can help out with, man, with some of these side projects you got going on, helping people, I'd, I'd love to hear more about it. Hundred percent. You're doing great things out there and keep it up. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Michael DeLagrange. It's episode 24 here on the Garage Talk podcast, and you can find it just about anywhere. Apple, oh boy, any major podcast platform, garagetalkpodcast.com. It's there. We'll be back here in the garage soon. And uh, Michael, thanks again. Thanks so much.